When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today we share another great episode from our archives, this one with Phil Longo, who is now the offensive coordinator at North Carolina. At the time we recorded it, he was the offensive coordinator just taking over the job at Ole Miss, and he shared some great stuff from us, whether it was talking about how he grades players instinctually, or how he views his playbook and the plays that go into it, or just the things that he does to build relationships. I think you're going to take a lot away from this one. I know it was one I enjoyed listening to again as I went back through it, and I think you will too. Check it out. We're really excited to have our guest today. It is Ole Miss Offensive Coordinator Phil Longo. Phil Longo has some impressive statistics behind him and what he's done at Sam Houston State. Head coach Hugh Freeze tabbed Phil Longo, the engineer of the nation's best FCS offense at Sam Houston State. As the Rebels offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach on December 16th, 2016, Longo helped Sam Houston to the FCS playoffs in each of his three seasons while shattering the record books. The 2016 team went 12-1 and and boasted the, the nation's number one total offense at 547.3 yards per game, the number two scoring offense at 49.5 points per game, the number two passing offense at 368.3 yards per game, and the number 37 rushing offense at 179 yards per game out of 122 FCS teams. The Bearcats scored touchdowns on 80.3% of their red zone chances, also the best in the nation. Sam Houston had more than 4,500 passing yards and 2,000 rushing yards in 2016. No FBS team accomplished that. Uh, We're certainly excited to be talking with Coach here today on the Coach and Coordinator Podcast. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform. 
using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. Coach Longo, we're excited to have you here on the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Hey, Dylan, it's good to be here. I appreciate your time. Well, Coach, uh, I had some questions from our listeners here, and, and we certainly want to get into uh, your offense. Um, but the question I'd like to start with all our guests is, what made you want to become a football coach? Well, I think we had uh, a situation back uh, when I was a junior in college where I got hurt. Hurt my knee, had surgery, and I was out as a medical red shirt to give me an opportunity to spend a year with John Bunting, who was our head coach at the time, who was a major influence on me. And um, he went on to be the head coach of North Carolina and was the D.C. at the Rams when they won the Super Bowl with Dick Vermeil. And he just was a huge influence on me. And so I got to spend a lot of time in the office with him when they were coaching. And I kind of just uh, got got the bug then because I was around the coaching end of things. And I just kind of knew after that. Even though I went back and played my senior year, I knew that coaching was what I wanted to pursue. Coach, as you have you grown and, and developed as a coach in the different places you've been, uh, what do you look back on and say um, these were some key lessons for me and my you know impacted me in my development as a coach? Well, I, I think uh, early on, you know, John Bunning was an influence on me because he put time into developing a relationship with me and with my teammates. And we always respected that. I and mean, some people classify those kind of coaches as player coaches. I don't know if I would title it that, but I would. I would. Uh, I definitely feel that there is there's a lot of validity to establishing personal relationships with the players that you you know you're coaching. And of course, you can't have the same one with every player. You know, you have different contact time with each. But you know, I think it's important that they all know that they can have one with you if. Uh, if in fact that's what develops. Now later on, you know, other other things that impacted me were maybe more schematic. I mean, my exposure and, and, and having the opportunity to meet Mike Leach and, and be exposed to their raid philosophy. I think it's more than just the X's and O's. I think it's the philosophy that has helped shape what I do as a football coach. So those are probably the two of the most you know, impactful points, impactful things that I've experienced throughout, you know, my years coaching. There's been many. Those would probably be the two key key elements for me. When you look at having an offense as explosive as yours, and certainly a, a lot of it you attribute to having some great players, but there's that culture you have to build both with your offense's offensive assistance and the, and the players are going to go out and execute it. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the culture you build within your offensive unit. I think that uh, we have really started to recognize over the years, you know, as you grow as a coach, I think regardless of what offense or defense you run, you know, you, you learn as a coach as you get older and become more experienced that the the mental approach and the focus and the mentality and the culture that you have is as if not more important than the X's and O's on the field. And I, and I think I'm a firm believer that X's and O's can make a difference. I'm a firm believer that 
um, play calling is uh, uh, a lot more important than a lot of people in this business give it, give it its due credit. But I don't think that any of that stuff uh, trumps or becomes more important than having the team focused, having the team understand that we've got to play self selflessly and we have to play uh, for one another. And you've got to have a, you know, a culture of being able to move from one play to the next without it affecting us emotionally. You know, I'm on my, we're huge fans of playing enthusiastically. We don't like playing emotional. And so all of that develops your overall culture. And if you have that, um, if you have that in your locker room and on the field with your unit, um, and I don't think the X and O's make as much a difference, but I think they can be a, a you know a factor after you have the culture that you want. And obviously, that starts with with building those relationships, like you mentioned. And I, I don't know that you know you hear the term players coach. I mean, I, I think being that way, developing relationships, is just being a coach. And I think if uh, if you're not getting getting labeled that way, at least by a good majority of players, there's an issue. So, um, what are some of the things you focus on in building those relationships with your players? Well, without question. And it's actually one of the reasons I'm excited about being at Ole Miss, but without question. And I say that because the philosophy is the same and, and the, uh, the approach is the same, but there's no doubt. Number one on my list is I, I truly believe that if the players know that you care about them, if the players know that you're going to have a relationship with them after they graduate, if the players know that they can call you in 10 years and ask for help or advice or um, just want to stop in and see you or they want to introduce their family, that they're going to be welcome to do that. I think uh, for them to know that it's more than just about their athletic ability on the field and what they can do for the school and the program and you know the team and the staff then, you know, I think they become more invested in what you're doing. And I think they trust you more. And I think they're willing to give you a little bit more of that blind faith that you really expect of them and they need to give you when you first get somewhere. You know, I asked our players here at Ole Miss, I said, listen, I need one season of blind faith. You don't know me. I don't know you. And I'm going to trust you until you give me a reason not to. And I need you to trust me and, 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 and this staff when we talk about what our approach is going to be going into the season. And, uh, you know, and, and they've done that, and that's why we had such a great spring ball. But I think that is a, a key factor in developing the overall culture that you want with the team. When you have a high-powered offense like that, you have to focus some of that and attribute some of that to, obviously, the coaching, the teaching of it. And you're obviously in a teaching phase right now in spring ball at Ole Miss. What, what would you say are some of the best things that you and your coaches are doing uh, to build that understanding in your players that they could play with confidence and they can play fast? There is a, uh, a huge emphasis and a belief here that getting every player that's going to contribute on Saturday, getting those players to a point where they can play instinctively without thinking. That, that is a, a, at a premium here. And if I don't feel and we don't feel that a player is playing instinctively, we're probably not going to put them in the rotation on Saturday. I think as soon as you have a player that um, has to think about what they're doing, can't just line up and go do it in their sleep because they've done it over and over and over. It's not instinctive muscle memory and instinctive routine. I think that player becomes limited with what he can do. You can take a great athlete 
you know, and if you brain freeze him, he's not going to be nearly the athlete or the asset on the field that he could be. If you take a great athlete and you teach him less and you give him the freedom to play more instinctively, one, he can reach that instinctive level quicker because the things you're teaching him are, are less or are simpler. And then you can get that great athlete that you recruited in the first place. And a lot of that I know is, is subjective, but uh, is there anything objective for you in trying to have a measuring stick for, is this player instinctively ready to get out on the field for us? Well, it, it is subjective to a point, but it, it's, uh, it's definitely, um, you can evaluate it. You can assess it, and we do it once a week. You know, we go through it. We talk about every single player. Uh, we go pull up the practice film and the game film. We evaluate how they respond to some difficult situations, to some adverse situations. We talk about, um, you know, what kind of mental mistakes they have. We talk about how long it takes them to get lined up and go do what they got to do instinctively. And we grade them. And if we grade a player out as a one, we think, and, and it'll break down not just by player, but we'll take every scheme or play in the offense individually as a position coach, for instance, and I'll take our starting quarterback and I'll take plays one through 26 and we'll go down the list. Where are we in play one? We'll evaluate all the cutoffs of play one. You know what? You're running this thing instinctively. And I'm going to, I'm going to hand that play to the kid. I'm going to tell him that that's in your playlist. That's in your bank right now. You own that play. I want to go right down all 26. And when I can get to a point where he knows 23, 24, 25 of them, or all of them instinctively, you know, I've got a player that should be playing instinctively without thinking on the field. That that's a that's a player that I would grade out as a one. A player that we grade out as a two, we'd hope not to put a two on the field. Sometimes you have to because they're younger and they're developing. A two is a solid player. Doesn't make a lot of mental mistakes. Is fairly focused. Is playing pretty fast but just isn't quite where a one might be. It's just, it's not quite can do it in your sleep level yet. And that's a two for us. A three is a player who is still learning, is definitely not ready to play, cannot just get the play line up and, and go get it and do it properly and execute it with good technique, you know, and know the assignment on a regular basis. And a four should really only be a, a newcomer. A four is just completely clueless. And so that's how they all come in. And it's our job to get them from four to one. And so we do, there's a premium on playing instinctively. We grade it by concept and we grade it by player. And really your your key to open the door to get on the field is to get yourself to a level one. Coach, what's the philosophy that, that begins, you know, the, the teaching of your offense? What are you guys really trying to accomplish? Oh, when we first... You know, with regards to maybe this situation here at Ole Miss, when we first got here, you have a new, uh, you have a new team, new players that don't know anything, have never run the offense before. We will spend the time, the necessary time, on film and on the board and in the classroom, putting it in and teaching it. But once we get the spring ball, we're going to take four days and install the entire offense in four days. And so days one through four, we got it all in. And, you know, five through eight, practices five through eight, we kind of reinstall or reemphasize those same four days of install. And we add some wrinkles and we run it out of different formations and we might present it differently, but we're running the same stuff that we already know. And then, you know, practice nine through 12, we work on all of our situational stuff. And 13, 14, 15 are 
13 and 14 are polished days, and 15 is the spring game, and that's the day we try to go out and execute, put our best practice together. So I know a lot of, of today's young offensive coordinators have so much information at their fingertips, probably a, a lot more, I know, than I did uh, growing up as a coach. Um, and, and there's a tendency maybe to start grab bagging and thinking, this is a great idea, I'm going to take that and put it in off at my offense, et cetera. I'll, Talk to us about the importance of, of having a system, especially one that you can install, like you said, in four days. Obviously, uh, you have to find that balance between being simple but having the answers you need. How important is it to have a system to be able to, to uh, be able to be effective like you guys are? I think it's very important. and I think, um, you know, I often use the example, my playbook at home is taller than I am. And, you know, I love every great play in football. But, you know, I, I learned early on, uh, just from my own experiences, that trying to run everything and be good at everything is, you know, it's like swimming upstream. And you just never really get to a level where you're in. You can't be instinctive running 145 plays. You just can't do it. And all 145 might be the 145 best plays in all of college football. But we can't be good at all. And all of them don't mesh together. You know, they don't fit in and jive with each other. It's just a hodgepodge of different plays that work. And a lot of the times those plays work because they are packaged with other plays. So when you just try to pull something from a Sunday pro game or pull something from a film of a college clinic and you like it, you know, we're not going to put anything in the offense unless it fits the package in the system that we're running. It complements it. And, you know, we kind of limit our offense. We cut it off at 26. And uh, that's just kind of over the years, that's the that's the area that we feel is kind of the saturation point. So if a coach on our staff brings a concept that's better than something we're running, then we'll replace it. You know, we'll eliminate something and we'll put in the better play. That way the weak link is always getting stronger. But we're not going to add it. Because every time you add something, you water down how effective we can be at the rest of it. And so I I very, very quickly early on in my career got out of the business of trying to prove to my players how smart I am. And I'd rather just uh, teach them things that they can do instinctively and and let them go do it. And, and you know, not try to – it's very hard to win the chess match and out-coach the other side on every play. And I think that we gain a great advantage by letting our kids – chase space, create separation, and win athletically. And looking at your 26 plays, how do you begin to attack situational football? What's the emphasis as you go into building your third down package, attacking in the red zone as vertical space disappears on you? How do you fit those plays, or how do you start to tailor those 26 to attacking those situations? Well, the plays don't change, so we, we don't have a different playlist for red zone. We don't have a play, different playlist for short yardage goal line than what's what's in the base offense. However, you're able to take, you know, without going into specifics, but you're able to take, you know, one play, maybe a drop back pass play that you run anywhere in the open field, and you get down inside the 10-yard line, and we'll still run that play if we feel like it's a good one. But we'll teach our players now, say, hey, look, we already know the foundation. We already know this play. Here's how we adapt it. Here's the adaptation or the adjustment when we don't have the vertical space. And on the goal line, you know, here's how we're going to adjust this run play because we're going to get 
a loaded box. We're going to get different shades. We're going to get different fronts, different looks. This is how we adjust or adapt that particular run play in this situation. So the learning is is uh, what adjustments or changes need to be made are just those. They're simple and small and easy adjustments or adaptations. They're not completely new schemes or concepts. How do you fit uh, specials into what you do? Um, you know, obviously your trick plays or something you might pull out uh, a couple times a season. Well, I think uh, we, we have a library of exotics, as we call them, trick plays or special plays, however you want to title it. But we have a playlist of exotics that we carry and that we install and we run on a regular basis. So we we really just treat them as regular plays. We don't treat them as anything special. And, And so what happens is they become pretty routine to the offensive personnel. And, you know, we'll run a reverse just as quickly as we'll run four verticals. And so we may not pull the trigger on that play as often in a game. The nature of that play is just that it is an exotic play or a special play. And you're going to use it, you know, at the most optimum situation in a game. But uh, we're going to run them in practice and prepare for them so that they're successful just like we do any of the others. And we'll go into summer camp with a library of plays that we can pull from our bag of, of exotics when it fits that week's opponent. Very rarely are we going to draw up a trick play and try to, you know, uh, create one and then go teach it the week of the game based on what the opponent's doing. I'm not saying we never do that, but that's that, that is not the norm. Which obviously. RPOs are all the rage right now. How do you fit those into um, your package, into your 26? Well, with some guys, I think there's a big misconception that we are a huge RPO team. Um, I think RPOs are good. I think they have their place. Um, they've been effective for us. But we we really only carry a few. You know, we'll run three or four of them. We may not even run all each game, but there are three or four in the offense, and we'll use them. But you know, there's there are certain things that a defense can employ that completely take those away, and we're not going to call them or run them just just to say that we run them. If they don't look good on Saturday, we probably won't even practice them that week. We're going to practice what we're going to call on Saturday, and the only thing that the only plays that stay on the playlist for Saturday are the ones that we feel are going to help us that game. So it's 13 out of the 26 plays don't look good against Saturday's opponent. We're going to practice the other 13 extensively and put them, you know, put them in in a way and run them in a way that we feel like we can win with them on Saturday. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective. So I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www dot team mofo dot com slash demo and mention coaching coordinator podcast 
or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I've had discussions with a lot of coaches about, you know, what's the optimal amount of reps you give a certain play to, to prepare it for, for game day and practice. What's your thoughts on that? How, how often does a play need to be repped when you think about, you know, um, specifically in group, like inside run, seven on seven team periods? I, I don't, I stopped trying to place an numerical, you know, value to a, a number of reps we need to run inside zone or run, you know, mess or something. It's doing and running this system for 20 years. The advantage there is, you know, we know that it takes a little longer to get good at mesh than it might uh, for verticals. And so, you know, you plan for that. And we know that over years of experience that with five different teams, mesh has taken longer than four verticals. Mesh has taken longer than throwing hitches. And so, you know, you, you plan for it in your install. But as far as having, knowing, hey, we need 300 reps at mesh before we get good at it, every group of players is completely different. And the emphasis with regards to where we direct our play calls one is dictated by our talent, and then two, it's dictated by what the players actually take to. What do they just naturally run well, and what don't they naturally run well? I mean, we have an athletic group of guys here that are outstanding, and we have a play that has been difficult to run in the past that they can do in their sleep right now. And we have a play that I've run just about everywhere I've been, and, you know, we're not exceptional in it right now. And it's just because every every group of guys is different. And so it's important, again, if you have those personal relationships and you know how to address kids, you know, as professionals, as human beings, as people, and, you know, you can, you can get, you can derive the most from them because they respect you as a coach and they're going to want to work hard for you. You can get the best out of them. You know, you address those things and, and uh, approach it in an aggressive way and we'll grade our plays out just like we do our players. Are, are we running this in rhythm? instinctively without thinking about it, yes. Well, then it goes on the playlist that we can pull from for Saturday's game. If we run something all camp or all spring ball and we just can't get it right, it won't even be on the library going into the season. Uh, technology is really becoming a big part of this game, and especially, you know, the NCAA has looked at um, a rule change and in, in using technology in-game. They've pulled that back, and, and they're waiting on it a little bit. But uh, what currently is your, your favorite uh, pieces of technology that you use to coach your players? You know, I'm a big fan of teaching players on video. We don't have a playbook. We don't we don't write a single thing on a sheet of paper. You know, there are no files here. We, we, we're going to teach everything on film, so I'm a huge advocate of teaching it on film, and then this is probably the second most popular way here with us is to walk through it or dog through it. I, I don't think there's anything closer to doing it, the real thing, than visually seeing exactly how someone was doing it successfully. And, you know, even better than that, there's nothing that helps you learn something more than actually doing it. And so those are the two top ways. Now, I'm, 
I'm not opposed to any of the of the technology. You know, you have the the uh, virtual reality stuff, the quarterbacks, and other players can use, and you know we're, we're into all that stuff. And I'm, I'm willing to use all those as accessories, as additional ways to help improve our players. But at the end of the day, what their muscles do, what their memories do, creates you know, creates habit and instinctivity. And that's, that's really what we're trying to get with our guys. Talk to me a little bit about the walkthrough. I've seen a number of these and I've seen them done correctly. I've seen them done um, where, you know, they're not very effective. What would you say are some of the keys to running an effective walkthrough practice? Uh, The two things that we do is, is when we walk through a play, we don't necessarily always line up. It's one thing to line them up and install the play where they're standing there and we're going to talk it and then we're going to go jog through it. You know, that's what we do when we install something. But other than that, if if, if we're going to have a walkthrough, typically um, the, the positional coaches will do that individually. Once we get together as a team, uh, very rarely are we walking or jogging through anything. Once we get together as a full unit, you're expected in that atmosphere, you know, in that setting to line up quickly and uh, and run the play. And so when we when we do, you know, if we're going to put inside zone in, we might walk through it with the running backs and the quarterbacks. The offensive line, is, the coach is going to be separate. He's going to be going through all the different fronts and scenarios for inside zone with his guys. And the receivers are working their block responsibility separately. And then we'll all come together. And if we run inside zone together, it's going to be full tilt. So that's how we do it. I mean, it's right, but that's that's what works for us, and so that's how we do it. So once we get into a true team setting, we're usually very up-tempo. Let's extend this to game day. Uh, what are the responsibilities of, of your coaches, and, and what kind of information are you looking for from your assistants um, in order for you to be able to operate and do the things you do as the offensive coordinator? Well, they, they all have input, and I think uh, you, you can't effectively do what you need to do myself as a play caller and uh, our position coaches handling their guys unless we all communicate together. And that's one of the reasons that um, we wear headphones every day in practice. So when we're in Skelly or team, any Skelly or team setting, we have headphones on and we are communicating and it just becomes second nature. You know, certain coaches know when they, they need to be quiet and not talk because uh, communication needs to go on between two others. You know, I know when I need to be quiet when when I, we're discussing something, and uh, you know we need to let our RB and our O line coach go at you know and, and discuss something that they're making an adjustment to, and it just becomes a natural rhythm after a while. And that, so that's why we do it every day in practice, and it really helps our game day communication. It's in thinking about practice and looking at the different uh, things you need to do as uh, both groups and units, um, what would you say are, are some of the keys for you in utilizing something like your seven-on-seven seven to get the most out of it? Well, seven-on-seven seven is, uh, you know, it's a drill that's done without the old line. And so I think sometimes it can cultivate a sense of security for the quarterback that they don't really have. Um, and so team pass is a, is a great drill, but when we do go to Skelly so we can focus on certain things in the drop-back game and quick game, uh, we're, we're going to have guys out there um, with hands up, and they're going to run through stunts um, that we give them and, and movements so the quarterback still has 
a few of a moving pocket. We're also going to stop watching. So if the time that we feel it should take to get through maybe a three-step look progression in a basket play, if, if that time is up and we haven't delivered the ball, we're going we're gonna to end the play and call it a sack and, and or turn it into a scramble drill. But we're not going to sit back there for five seconds and throw something we know we'll never have five seconds for in a game. So getting them to understand that it has to be run in, in a prescribed time because that's reality and putting a little bit more of a realistic situation in front of the quarterbacks with regards to pressure and different eye lines to receivers, um, getting them off their launch point so that they have to move their feet correctly and still trigger the ball accurately. Those are all key parts, and that's kind of how we operate, Skelly. I think those are our two great suggestions. I know our coaches will um, be able to use. Uh, I always loved using the stopwatch, and I like that exactly like you said, giving them something to uh, simulate that pocket instead of just throwing through uh, wide open lanes. I think those are outstanding um, coaching points to add to the seven on seven. Coach, you got one more question for you um, that I ask all of our listeners. And, and what's the one thing you would point to as giving your teams the winning edge? One thing to get the winning edge is, you know, and uh, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I'm telling you, I, I just, feel like I said we put a high premium on playing instinctively and that means the guys have to understand the importance of mental preparation before they get on the field and uh, if they do that we're going to get a lot closer to seeing their true natural athletic potential on the field and really our entire program is is based on allowing them to have maybe more freedom than some other approaches with regards to running routes and, and doing some things uh, because we want them to play instinctively. We want them to be able to rely on their athleticism. So when the bullets are firing and, and uh, there are some difficult adverse times in the game, which we all know we're going to see every week, um, we know we can hang our hat on uh, things that we do day in and day out and can do them instinctively. And I think that promotes confidence in the minds of our players and our staff. And as you well know, anytime you're doing something that feels comfortable, that you're really, really confident in, you have a much better shot at being successful than if you handicap and restrain yourself because you have to think too much. How can our listeners connect with you? Connect with me? I mean, I, I, you know, anybody that uh, texts me or, or emails me here at Ole Miss, I am, uh, unless I'm in the middle of the season, obviously, I really appreciate all the time that coaches throughout my life have given me and so I'm very appreciative of all that and I know that it benefited me and so I really try to it may not be the very next day but I try to answer every contact that I get so I would say if you shoot an email out or uh, send me a text if you need something from an X and O standpoint um, I will at some point definitely get back to you really appreciate you taking the time and and uh, sharing some great ideas here with our listeners and good luck to you and the rebels in the 2017 season i appreciate it thank you so much wow coach longo really shared some great stuff with us and here's three key takeaways i have from him number one i really loved what he said about play enthusiastically not emotionally you think about how many times when players are playing emotional that one twist or turn of the game you know gets them down gets them off their game so teach them to play enthusiastically uh number two i really liked what he said about having 26 plays and sticking with it they have a system they find a better play they'll replace the weak link and that's their menu they they 
pick from that menu each week. Uh, they might take, for example, 13 plays into the game, um, but they really are disciplined about sticking to having a menu of 26 plays, and it fits into a four-day install. And the last thing with which coach emphasized throughout uh, was that you need to get your players to play instinctively. And I really liked the scale he had for grading his players and knowing if they were ready to go and making sure that they had what he termed a number one out on the field. Thank you again for tuning in to the Coach and Coordinator Podcast again. Stay tuned for big news. We'll continue with our archives and some of those episodes from back in the early years. Just great ones that we want to bring back right to the forefront so you can listen to those again. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski for some daily content as well. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes and click five star for rate if you have a minute write a review. It helps the podcast and we appreciate it. 